Well, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 13. As we continue in our study of Proverbs, we'll be considering verse 17 tonight. Proverbs 13, verse 17. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. Now, here we have, as usual, two kinds of people. And as we've seen in most of the Proverbs, we see a wicked person contrasted with a faithful one. We see the difference uh, that their wickedness or their faithfulness uh, makes in regards to their duties here as messengers or ambassadors, or as the ESV and other translations have it, as envoys. Uh, I think of uh, if I say my company has a, a problem with a customer, and I have to send somebody to deal with that problem. Well, who am I going to send? Do I send an unfaithful man or a faithful man? And so it's obvious. I want to send somebody who's both competent and faithful. If you send an unfaithful person to represent your company, then it will not go well with you. And it won't go well with him as well. So now all of us, or certainly most of us at one time or another, are given an assignment, or we take an opportunity voluntarily to go to speak to somebody on behalf of someone else. When you're doing that, you're being an ambassador or an envoy. Uh, and it's important to represent the person or the organization that we're representing. It's important that we represent them faithfully. The Bible says here, a wicked messenger falls into trouble. He brings the one that sent him into trouble, and he'll also have trouble himself. Have you ever been misrepresented by someone? Uh, it might have been somebody that you sent, or it might have been somebody you didn't send, but somebody took it upon themselves to represent you, and they represented you poorly. Well, it certainly isn't a pleasant experience, isn't it? It brings them, brings them no honor either. Now, I can think of no application of this principle that comes close to the responsibility that's given to all Christians to represent God. If you're a Christian tonight, you're a representative of God. You are, and, 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 and especially and particularly, you're a representative of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And I'm sure that nobody here would disagree with that. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we turn there, we're going to spend a little time in the New Testament here. Uh, most of our time actually will be spent in the, in the New Testament. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20, I always find this humorous, you know, as I get older, that back, you know, 20 years ago when I'd say that, I hear all these pages flipping. And now I hear a few pages flipping, and all these other people are using their phones. You don't hear that. You don't even put that on the app, you know? Shouldn't they? You know, while you're looking for it, they should have page flipping sound on your app. That makes the preacher feel better, you know? Well, I just thought I'd throw that in. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, uh, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, I think this is a remarkable verse. 
God is not just inviting sinners to come to Christ, uh, but he's pleading with them to come. Isn't that remarkable, really, for a sovereign God to plead for sinners to come? And who does he have do the pleading on his behalf? Well, that's us. It's us. Now, Paul, of course, is including himself when he says the word we. We are ambassadors. And so uh, some, uh, because of this, have concluded that he's only speaking of those that are called gospel ministers. But there's no necessity to interpret it that way. And all of us who name the name of Christ are ambassadors for Christ within our own spheres of influence. And we must never forget that. A Christian lives every day on a higher plane than the non-Christian. Our actions, our words, and our attitudes are constantly scrutinized by others around us every day that we live. And what's the question on everyone's mind concerning your actions and your words and your attitudes if you're a child of God? What's their question? It's this. How are, are they representing Jesus Christ? Are they representing him faithful? Even unsaved, uh, even atheists would want to ask that question. They would want to have that question answered. How is this person representing the person he claims to be his Lord? Do your words and actions and attitudes reflect the values of Jesus Christ? A very basic thing, isn't it, in the Christian life? Are people drawn to Christ on account of you? Or are they repulsed? Isn't that what an ambassador is supposed to do? If, if, if our president sends an ambassador to some foreign country, isn't, isn't that ambassador supposed to try to make peace with that country? Isn't he supposed to try to make the United States look good? And, and uh, if he goes there and he misrepresents the, company, the country, well, he's not going to be an ambassador for very long, is he? Well, Jesus is called the light of the world. And then he turns around in the Sermon on the Mount and he calls us the light of the world, doesn't he? And um, when he's saying that, he expects us to show the same light to the world that he has brought into the world. And um, let's let's look at a positive and uh, negative from the Bible, uh, from what the Bible teaches on that, uh, on that as far as being the light of the world and being... Uh, 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 showing Christ to the world. John 13:35 says, uh, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And really, if you've been a Christian for very long, you know that the shame that's been brought upon the church by Christians not loving one another has been terrible. Uh, uh, Christians not treating one another in a loving way, it's well known. And, and where there's... but. On the other hand, when there's true harmony and, and uh, love uh, among Christians, it draws people into their community. And uh, uh, because love is such a, a rare thing to find in the world. You know, the world is starving for love. People want love. They want to be loved. And they want to see that there is such a thing as genuine love. There's a lot of people that are skeptical in the world about that whole subject of love. And they don't want to get close to anyone because they, they don't, uh, they, they, they're afraid of getting hurt. And, uh, and so it's such a rare thing. And Christians are supposed to be those that love. And not just one another, but love non-Christians and love their enemies as well. 
And they're watching us for that. It's important that they see that. Um, and when this is observed by the world, it has an attraction that reflects well on God and on the gospel. In fact, many have come to Christ through this very thing. And by contrast to that, uh, consider something like the sin of David with Bathsheba. Remember what Nathan, when David confronted him uh, over that sin, and he said, Thou art the man, and he pronounced God's sentence upon him. Remember one of the things he said, uh, found in Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, he says, Because by this deed you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who's born to you shall surely die. You see, God was blasphemed on account of David's actions, which is just the opposite of what David was supposed to do. It's, it's uh, what's the will of God for all servants of Christ. Old Testament and New, the will of God is found in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Uh, in fact, we're in Corinthians. Just turn over to 1 Corinthians. Very familiar passage to all you, but 1 Corinthians 10. Let's look at verses 31 through 33. It says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also uh, please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. You see his priority here. His priority wasn't all about himself. With so much in our generation, what's the priority? It's me, me, me. It's the me generation, right? It's all about me, about my feelings, my uh, things that matter to me. And uh, and uh, Christians need to reflect this this uh, uh, loving others mentality. And by that, uh, this is such a rare thing that it it makes it makes people take notice. Now, sin is bad for everyone. But for us to, that, that claim to be followers of Christ, the bad effects of sin take on an even bigger and more serious aspect. For us to sin, and especially to sin publicly, is to misrepresent our Savior and to be untrue to our calling. And when we do that, we're being unfaithful messengers. Not necessarily wicked messengers, as our text tonight talks about, but we're not being faithful ambassadors. The very reason for our being uh, created in the first place is to bring glory, glory to God, isn't it? What's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, so for the renewed man or the renewed woman, even so much uh, more, we have to be glorifying God uh, for what he has done in our lives and our redemption. Um, he's redeemed us at such a great cost. And so how, how much more we ought to be that faithful ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why, by the way, that God would not relent on his sentence of death for David's child. It was not so much, I don't believe it was so much as punishment for David. And surely it was that. But it was much more than that. It was on account of the serious compromise that this gave to the glory of God. And it's one thing you don't touch. You don't touch the glory of God. And this had to be publicly displayed. And, of course, the, the child uh, was brought into heaven. Um, but David was a righteous man. But, uh, but he was un, an unfaithful ambassador at that time in his life. And so we need to seek 
to be faithful ambassadors for our God uh, in our realms of influence while we have the opportunity. But there are also wicked messengers that bring a false gospel, and yet they call themselves believers who are really enemies of Christ. George Lawson says this, he says, Corrupt ministers are wicked messengers who fall into the ditch and draw others with them to add to their eternal disgrace and torment. I turn to First, First Timothy chapter 4, since I've got you here in the New Testament. Let's just look at a few, uh, a few passages. But turn to First Timothy chapter 4, and verse 16 says this. Paul, exhorting Timothy, says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. See, he's calling Timothy to be faithfully represent the Lord Jesus Christ in how he lives and what he teaches, both his life and his doctrine. To be a faithful ambassador, we must be both of these things. And that's what he's calling Timothy to do. If, you're, if, if a minister isn't going to live right or if he's going to teach false doctrine, both of these things endanger those that he's, that he's uh, charged uh, with keeping with the keeping of their souls, so uh, when, it, when a minister faithfully teaches the word, being careful, as Paul exhorts Timothy here to to continue in sound doctrine, and he not only does good for himself, but he also brings health, as our text in Proverbs says that it brings health. You know, people are in great need of good doctrine. There's so much false doctrine infecting the churches these days, and it's not healthy for those that are subjected to it. Matthew Henry says this, he says, those that are wicked and false to Christ and the souls of men do mischief and fall into mischief. But those that are faithful will bring sound words to be healing, uh, will find sound words to be healing words to others and to themselves. Uh, our, minister, our, our ministry as ministers is to, is to bring healing to your lives into the lives of the whole congregation. And our, and our instruction and our preaching ought to be uh, not only salvific for those who come in and that aren't saved, it should tend towards their salvation, but it ought to be uh, a healing balm for all the people of God as well. Hear what Charles Bridges has to say on this. He says, what, word, what words can tell the awful mischief of the wicked messenger? Ignorant of the worth of his commission and utterly careless in the discharge of it. Yet the mischief returns upon his own head, laden as he is with the guilt of the blood of, of souls, himself overwhelmed in the eternal damnation of those who have perished through his neglect. Faithfulness marks the true ambassador. He shuns not to declare the whole counsel of God, I mentioned in Acts chapter 20, which is the next passage I want, want to take you to. Turn to Acts 20 so we can see that verse in its context. Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders uh, upon his uh, uh, taking leave of them in Acts chapter 20. Now I want to read verses 17 through 31. It's a, a long passage, but I, but but it uh, uh, I want to I want to go through and expound some of these verses as well. Beginning in verse 17, it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, 
serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Indeed, now I know that uh, you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years they did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, I just want to point out several things from this passage of Scripture. I don't want to give it a thorough exposition. We don't have time for that. But just to point out several things that relate to our proverb that we're studying tonight. Uh, notice, first of all, that he kept back nothing that was profitable to them. Uh, you know, there are things that are not profitable or are a very limited profit for God's people. It's not important to know how many pomegranates uh, were on a chapter in the, on, the, on the post of the temple. It's not important that you know that. though that You can find that in the scripture, but it's not important. And it's of very little importance to know, for example, what Zeba and Zalmunna had to say to Gideon before he slew them. You see what I'm saying? There's things in the Bible that are just really, really not very important. Um, but, uh, uh, but to know something of the difference between justification and sanctification is very important, isn't it? And to know the role of good works and the importance of justification by faith alone, these are essential. Because if these doctrines are wrongly taught, can lead the souls of people astray and, uh, and, uh, and ruin their souls for all eternity. So Paul held back nothing that was helpful and he stuck to the things that were helpful. And especially, as he says in verse 21, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these, of course, are the most basic and essential of gospel truths, aren't they? And without them, there is no salvation. Matthew Henry said, said he was a truly Christian evangelical preacher. He did not preach philosophical notions or matters of doubtful disputation, nor did he preach politics or intermeddle with all, uh, at all with affairs of state or of civil government, but he preached faith and repentance, the two great gospel graces, the nature and necessity of them. These he urged upon all occasions. And then in verse 26, he says um, that he was innocent of the blood of all men. 
And what is it that made him innocent of the blood of all men? Well, it was because that um, uh, he did, as verse 27 says, he says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And I know that there can be temptations to hold certain things back. And some ministers have a more difficult time and a difficult problem than others on account of this because on account of the makeup of their congregations or the far-reaching nature of their ministry on account of their fame. And so it's, it's more difficult for them than some little guy like me that's, you know, preaches just a few people that actually want to hear me and that sort of thing. It's a lot e- it is a lot easier for me. I'm glad that uh, these, those occasions are very rare uh, for us here because of your total commitment to wanting to hear the, uh, everything and anything that the Bible teaches. And that makes it easier for us. And not all ministers are in that nice of a situation that we find ourselves here uh, among you. But the truth is this, too, that is that as our society moves further and further away from truth and closer to a persecuting mindset, as as we see happening in our day, it is a bit of a temptation to hold back when it comes to teaching about sins that are especially popular in our day, sins such as homosexuality and and uh, gender confusion and things like that. Sometimes I find myself a little bit nervous about Speaking about those things, I know my sermons go out on the Internet, but we mustn't be deterred from proclaiming the whole counsel of God. Many supposedly evangelical churches are caving in on these very matters in the Bible because they fear men. They're they're afraid to speak out about them, but we mustn't be afraid. We must preach the whole counsel of God. And, and when, when men hold back, they're being unfaithful messengers, unfaithful ministers. I hope I'll never be an unfaithful minister. And as I've said many times before, if the churches in the past century and a half had stood united and uncompromising against the errors that were creeping into the churches and into the universities and the seminaries back in those days, I believe that our entire nation would be much better off than it is Today, a society would not be as far along in its moral decay as it is today. But the churches, led by unfaithful messengers, deceived in the seminaries and the universities, they caved in little by little until in many cases the whole lump was leavened. And the only recourse for God's people was to desert those churches and those denominations to start new ones. And you know the history of it. And new seminaries and new colleges and new universities had to spring up. And now, sad to say, many of those are being corrupted in the same way, little by little. We're seeing it happening in our, in our seminaries that not very long ago we could count on as being um, uh, 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 safe and sound. Uh, but but, but they're, they're caving in. Lots of them are caving in on every societal fad, and um, and uh, uh, and they, they're going down the same paths as their dead predecessors from long ago, and they're caving in on everything: like wokeness, the Me Too movement, egalitarianism, and a host of other issues and errors. And there are wicked messengers and unfaithful envoys responsible for all of this error. And it's, it's not for the health of the churches, but it's, it's for their hurt. 
Health comes to the people through faithful ambassadors, faithfully teaching, and not their own doctrine, but the sound doctrine that we have in God's Word. And here's an important thing to remember. We must confront the errors of our day and not think that confronting the errors of the last generation or the errors that were around centuries ago or the errors of the, Ref- the period of the Reformation that confronting these, that these are sufficient. No, uh, these might need to be done. They do need to be done, but not to leave the contemporary errors alone. Martin Luther said this. He said, though I proclaim with loudest voice and the clearest explanation every part of the truth of God with the exception of that precise little point that the world and the devil are currently attacking, I am not representing Christ, no matter how outspokenly I proclaim him. And listen, I've seen, heard a lot of good Reformed preachers uh, preach, preach and preach and preach about the errors that were found in the Reformation and never a word about the errors of today. And never say a word about them. Now, uh, we, we need to confront the errors of our day. Uh, Matthew Henry speaking on verse 26, he said this, He had not shunned preaching those doctrines, which he knew would be provoking to the watchful enemies of Christianity or displeasing to the careless professors of it, but faithfully took his word before him, whether they would hear or forbear. And thus it was that he kept himself pure from the blood of all men. We need to be faithful messengers. Verses 29 and 30 in Acts 20 uh, says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from yourselves, men will arise, uh, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Since this uh, is true in every generation, it's important that we be constantly vigilant about this. Uh, Paul could prophesy that these would come into the church and so it came to pass. And Peter said the same thing in Second Peter 2.1. He said, but uh, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. See, they bring in destructive heresies. And in other words, as our text uh, tonight says, these wicked messengers fall into trouble. Along with those that follow them, they both fall into the ditch. And what is the remedy? Well, I believe the remedy is twofold. First, I, I think we need to watch, as, um, uh, as he goes on to say in verse 31 of, this, uh, of Acts 20, therefore watch. Isn't that what Paul says? Therefore watch, see, he says. Uh, so I think uh, that's the first thing. We need to watch. Uh, and we need to be in, we need to, uh, be in prayer. We must, uh, we, we must not fall asleep at our post. Uh, and secondly... We need, to, we need to heed our doctrine, as he told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. We need to watch, we need to pray, we need to heed our doctrine. And it's important to understand that one will not work without the other. We need to do both. And Reformed congregations have been sometimes lax in watching and in vigilance because they have good confessions of faith. And so their doctrine, they believe, will preserve them. But it won't protect, uh, preserve them from wolves because wolves always will subscribe to their confessions of faith. 
they will always come in and say they prescribe to the confessions of faith. Um, and, and so they can seek entry into Reformed congregations. And, and the slide towards heresy is deceitful. For example, as you well know, the Westminster Confession of, of Faith is very clear in saying that God created the, the earth in six days. It says six days. This means nothing in many Presbyterian churches anymore today, and it's not unheard of even among some Reformed Baptists. And how do they get this? Well, of course they say, well, sure we believe that. But then they give their little caveats. You know, it didn't have to necessarily be six actual, real, literal days, even though they know very perfectly well what the framers of the Confession meant when they said that. And that's the deceitfulness of these things. And these good Reformed men, there's good men that are falling into that trap. And I hate to see it. And I hate to see it taught in our seminaries. And it is being taught in some of these Reformed seminaries. And I I hate to see it because it's poisoning our young men. You poison the fountain. And the rest of it becomes becomes poison. The whole stream becomes poison. And I believe that very much about this, uh, the way they're caving in on some of these things. And uh, and it's, this kind of reasoning is the reasoning of a false teacher, though it's embraced by many true Christians. Uh, but false teachers gain an entry among us by getting Christians to accept their kind of doctrinal error. And, and a lot of it comes through a false hermeneutic. A way of looking at the scriptures and interpreting the scriptures that is in error. I remember talking to somebody about this whole matter of the first of the six days of creation, and and he came from a, a conservative cemetery, cemetery, a little slip of the tongue, and uh, it came from one of them places, and uh, and uh, and he and he told me he said, well, Al, we that really know the languages understand that that's poetic language. And if you really knew the Hebrew, you would understand that they're speaking poetically and that it doesn't necessarily have to be taken literally. Well, of course, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I went and talked to some Hebrew scholars. I got friends that are Hebrew scholars. And they said, no, no, it's, no, it's, it's not that at all. But that's what they're telling them in this seminary, that uh, trying to get them to uh, uh, not hold fast to something like uh, the six days of creation, and they poo-poo Ken Ham and his kind of work and things like that, and uh, and, uh, and and it's 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 not good. Uh, but it's that kind of reasoning, that kind of hermeneutic, where they can say, "Oh, you know, you should be one of the spiritually elite like we are." Sounds like Roman Catholicism to me. You need to be a priest to understand the scriptures, or you need to be one of the, a graduate from one of our seminaries to understand. That God didn't really mean six days when he said six days. Yom, the word for day in Hebrew, which is as clear as it can possibly be, but it's not really mean day because of our scholarship. No, that's, that's, that's the kind of stuff with that kind of hermeneutic. See, we can, get, we can get into all kinds of trouble, and they do get into all kinds of trouble. And usually not that generation. It's usually the next generation that slides into it. The, the point that I make here is that a confession of faith is helpful but do not rely upon it. It's not much of a hindrance to false teachers. And actually, I think sometimes the reliance on our confessions can make us let down our guard. And so we must have doctrinal integrity. We need the confessions. It's important. But it needs to be along with watchfulness. And that means a humble reliance upon God to give us faithful messengers. And a, and a humble distrust of our own wisdom 
and a vigilance in prayer. And when it comes to examining potential leaders that we might bring in, and I believe fasting as well. You know, uh, we need to we need to we need to be very, very watchful. Our sufficiency is in Christ and we need his help every step of the way. And the devil can outwit all of us. Don't any one of us think that the devil can't outwit you. And he can sneak in his own servants relatively easy if we're not very, very careful and very, very watchful. And I hope this church goes on in, in good health. I believe it's in good health right now, but I hope it goes on uh, in good health for uh, many generations. But it all depends on our remaining watchful over ourselves and very watchful and wary as we move forward and uh, with new leadership in the, in the upcoming years. And we need to pray for faithful ambassadors that will bring health to the church. And, bring, and, and we need to pray diligently that God will keep wicked messengers out of our midst and especially out of office. And so uh, I believe this proverb is very important for us to consider. May the Lord uh, 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 keep us safe going into the next generation with faithful messengers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.